Now, it's been a couple weeks since we last looked at Romans, and we're at a significant turning point in the text tonight. So before we read, I want to do a little bit of review just so we know where we're coming from. Now, when I was in middle school, we'll get to the Romans review in just a second, but when I was in middle school, my parents started building a big addition on our house, and one particular Saturday, we were out there nailing sheets of plywood onto boards, and I was nailing along, and I came to this one place where there was a big knot in the wood. And knots are really, really hard. If you can avoid putting a nail through there, you do. But I decided I was going to make this work. So I took one nail, and I started pounding and pounding and pounding, and it wouldn't go in. And finally, I got it a little bit in, and then it bent. So I pulled out another nail. I stuck that in there. I pounded it a couple times, and it went flying off to who knows where. I got a third nail in there. It bent again. I got a fourth nail in there. I'm a kind of stubborn person. I got the fourth nail in there and was pounding and pounding and pounding away, and the nail still wouldn't go down. And then my great uncle, who was a very quiet, gracious man, came over and said with the wisdom of age, hey, Matthew, you're trying to pound a nail through a knot. That's never going to work. Let's try something different. So he threw that nail away, pulled out another one, moved it over six inches, and with two hammer strokes, got the nail through and got the board attached. Well, from Romans 1.18 to 3.20, Paul has been exploring all kinds of ways that people try to make themselves righteous. He's been exploring all kinds of ways that his readers might say, no, we can do this. We can get through this. Sure, it's hard, but we can make ourselves righteous by pounding through this. And Paul has been saying, no, that isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And that isn't going to work either. You can try it this way or that way, but no one is going to get righteous before God by their own work. From the beginning, Romans tells us, people have been exchanging the true God for other things, for idols, for immorality, for impurity. People have been rejecting truth and goodness. God's own people, the Jews, have taken the law and they've twisted it and they haven't fulfilled it. Gentiles, the rest of the nations of the earth, have turned away from God and done wrong also. Paul walks us through all kinds of options. Do people really follow God? Nope. Do God's people follow the righteous law they've been given? Nope. Is anybody really totally righteous? Nope. You can come at it from any direction you like, but it will never work. Paul has closed down all kinds of ways for people to hammer through and find righteousness on their own. And finally, after a couple chapters of that, we get to the turn in the text that we'll read for tonight. So let's go ahead and read Romans 3, 21 to 31 this evening. Romans 3, 21 to 31. But now... This is a huge shift. We're turning a corner here. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been, made, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Now, I should note at the beginning that the word used for justify in Romans there is basically make righteous. So I'm going to kind of use those terms interchangeably tonight. But if you make someone righteous, you justify them. If you justify someone, you make them righteous. Now, if the last couple chapters have given us the problem that no one is righteous, these verses give us the solution. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Again, righteousness before God doesn't come from what we do. Verse 23 tells us again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And verses 27 and 28 tell us that nobody can boast because observing the law isn't what makes people right with God. Paul has been hammering this point home for a couple chapters, but it still kind of rubs us wrong. It still kind of goes against the default human grain. Deep down, people want to save themselves. Deep down, we want to do it on our own. And so we live our lives, we make our human religions to find righteousness by measuring up to some standard. When you apply for a job or when you apply for a college or for scholarships, you need to fill out an application. And of course, when you do that, you try to maximize all the good and the relevant and the exciting parts of your experience, and you try to kind of keep the not-so-good parts kind of under the carpet in a way. And a lot of places have certain minimum standards you need to reach. Maybe you need to have a certain degree, a certain number of years of experience, a certain GPA, a certain number of activities Without those things, you don't have a chance. But if you have a good list, if you can put together a resume or an application that looks good, you've got a shot at getting where you want to go. And there's something about humanity that makes us see religion as kind of like a job search or a college application. We want some way, some method, something that we can use to make ourselves qualified and righteous. By default, a lot of people want to find assurance of salvation by works. If I do the right thing, I am guaranteed to get where I want to go. And our American religiosity, kind of the way our culture thinks about right and wrong, leaves a lot of people with this vague sense that if I'm an okay person, you know, if I'm pretty good, that means God will accept me in the end. If my balance sheet works out so that there's a few more positives than negatives, everything will be fine. 
And the tragedy of that view, as Romans tells us, is that nobody is really good enough. This isn't a matter of weighing the good actions and the bad actions, counting up the positives and the minuses, and hoping that you end up with a positive number at the end. To be righteous before God, people need to have a righteousness that can measure up to God's glory. Only complete, absolute, total, continual goodness can measure up to that standard. Absolutely anything short of absolute perfection is not good enough. And nobody is absolutely perfect. Now we in the church, we in the Reformed tradition especially maybe, are pretty clear on the point that works can't save us. But there's another more subtle trap that we often fall into as believers. We know that we can't get right with God through the goodness of our actions. But we also need to realize that we don't get right with God through the strength of our faith. It is not the depth of our faith that makes us righteous before God. Now I know that's kind of a hard point to get, but let me explain it this way. Sometimes our focus shifts away from the Savior who we have faith in, and instead we get all absorbed with worrying about our own level of faith. And when our attention moves from the perfect Savior that we have faith in to our own always imperfect faith, we're in trouble. I was visiting a friend who was going to a Bible school once, and we were hanging out with some people there who he, even he didn't know really well, and someone said, let's all go around and share our testimonies. They didn't do superficial conversations at that school. So everybody went around and told their stories of faith, and more than one person said something like, I gave my life to Jesus when I was little, but then a few years later I thought, hey, maybe that didn't take Maybe I should do it again. Maybe I should pray the sinner's prayer or repent or do whatever again. And then a few years later, well, I wasn't sure it'd taken the last time, so I decided to pray that prayer again. And then a few years later, when I came to this Bible school, I realized maybe I hadn't really, really committed my life to Jesus before, so I prayed again to have Jesus come into my heart. Now, it's a great thing, especially as we grow in our faith, to recommit our lives to Jesus and to keep intentionally renewing our commitment. That's a great thing, but there's a little problem, a little error that creeps in when we get there. When we recommit our lives to Jesus to make sure it really took, we're subtly, quietly making our salvation about what we do, not what God has done for us. It's not like we need to pray exactly the right prayer with the right words at the right time or we need to reach a certain level of white-knuckled, hardcore belief to have done enough for God to save us. We sometimes act as if we have to have enough faith, as if there's this new work that we have to do called faith, and we have to do enough of it if we're going to be really saved. But we don't earn our salvation by believing hard enough. We get right with God because our Savior is good enough. We aren't saved because our faith gets us past the mark. We're saved because Jesus and the righteousness he gives us get us past the mark. And because of that, we can be truly assured of our salvation if we believe in Christ alone to save us. 
even if you have doubts sometimes, even if you struggle in the faith sometimes, even if you have nagging questions, you can still be saved. You need to have some level of heart commitment. I'm not saying you can be saved without any faith at all. But you don't have to work yourself up to have enough faith because we have a Savior who's good enough, who's strong enough to save us by His grace. We can be sure we're saved because we have faith in a sure and certain Savior. If our Savior was not good enough to save us, our faith would not matter. But because Christ's work was sufficient, we are right with God. And if we trust in anything besides Christ alone, that thing will fail us, whether it's our work or our faith or whatever else. Anything but trust in Christ alone will fail us. Righteousness before God comes to us through Christ alone. In Greek mythology, there's this story about Icarus and his father Daedalus. And an evil king had imprisoned these two for some reason or another, but Daedalus was a great inventor. So he got some feathers and some wax, and he made wings for himself and his son. And together, the two of them flew out of captivity. But before they flew away, Daedalus told his son, don't go too high. If you go too high, if you get too close to the sun, the sun will melt the wax that holds this whole thing together. The feathers will come undone, and your flight will come to a sudden stop. But when Icarus started flying, and he had that feel of the wind beneath him, he forgot all his father's warnings, and he just climbed up and up and up as high as he could. But as he climbed higher, the sun heated up the wax, his wings started coming apart, and after a while, he had no wings left, and he crashed into the sea. His best efforts weren't good enough. He put his faith in the wrong thing, and he ended up crashing to earth. And as long as we're still depending on ourselves, we're missing the point. Our abilities, our goodness, our strength, our works, nothing will be enough to save us. Now, when I was a kid, I used to get a little bit nervous about flying in airplanes. I wouldn't say I was really scared or panicky, but I sometimes got a little bit concerned about how something so big and so heavy, could stay up in the air with nothing supporting it. And there was something about how high they got to that kind of freaked me out. Like, how can it work for something to be up that high with nothing supporting it? I was a little scared. But that never stopped me from getting on the plane when it was time for a trip, and I never had any trouble. Regardless of how worried I was or how much faith I had in the plane I was getting on, As long as I had enough faith to get on, the planes always got me there. The success of the flight didn't depend on my level of confidence. It depended on the plane, on the pilot, on the mechanics, on the people who had made the thing ready. The reality of the situation didn't depend on how I felt. It depended on what other people had done, and it depended on the strength of the object of my faith. Our salvation comes because Jesus Christ himself is always faithful and trustworthy, not because we ourselves always are. This is not about how strong our faith is, though it's good if our faith is always growing and always getting stronger, but it's not about how strong our faith is. It's about how strong the person in whom we have our faith is. It's not about how strong our faith is. It's about who we have faith in. The key point is that our faith is in Jesus Christ, the one who saves us. We might come before God kind of weak-kneed and uncertain sometimes, 
hopefully more often we come before him with really strong faith. But either way, if we come in Jesus Christ, then Christ's blood covers our sins and makes us right before God. Christ is the perfectly righteous sacrifice for our sins, and Christ is the one who makes us perfectly righteous. And that's what we need. We need a God who is just and a God who justifies us. In other words, we need a God who is righteous and also a God who is gracious. We need a God who will make things right, who cares about things being done and made right. And we also need a God who will make us right, a God who will fix what is wrong with us. We need a God who's both righteous and gracious. Now, people today often think they want a God who's only gracious. Maybe you've heard someone say, I believe in a God of love. And anything that doesn't show that God is love, I'm just not going to believe in. God is love, period. Well, God certainly is a God of love. But often when people say they only want a God who's gracious, only a God who's loving, nothing else, they don't realize what they're really saying. If you get pulled over by a police officer, whether you were going a few miles or a bunch of miles over the speed limit or ran a yellow light or whatever, you always hope against hope that the officer will be gracious and let you off with just a warning. And sometimes it happens. And it's, it's nice when police officers let us off with a warning for a traffic violation. But how would you feel if someone broke into your house, stole all your stuff, torched the place, got caught by a police officer a block over, and the police said, oh, just go ahead. I'm going to be gracious this time. Don't do it again. Or how would you feel if you heard that a, a rapist, a murderer, a human trafficker just got off with a warning because the police wanted to be gracious that day? Would we really want to live in a world where ultimately the authority figure, where ultimately God doesn't care about wrong? Would we really want to live in a world where there was no hope that things would come right in the end. A God who we make only ever gracious ends up being a God who doesn't really care about justice, a God who won't, wouldn't really make things right in the end. Only a God who is entirely, powerfully, fully just and righteous gives us hope that evil will be wiped away someday that injustice and sin will be done away with. A God without justice gives us no hope that injustice and evil will finally be wiped away one day. If there's to be any hope that everything will be made right in the end, we need a God who is righteous. We need a God who looks at the flood of evil in this world and will someday say, enough! A God who is strong enough to do away with all of that but we also need a God who's gracious. We need a God who isn't just just, but a God who makes us just. If we paint a picture of a God who is righteous, but not gracious, that picture always ends up with a God who is unstoppably, unbearably, unyieldingly angry and firm. If all we had was a God who demanded that we kept the law or else, we would be in trouble. None of us can be perfectly righteous. We can't bear the weight of the whole law. And if we try to do that, it crushes us. And so we need God to get it right 
for us. We need a God who's just so we have hope that everything will turn out right in the end, but we also need a gracious God so that we know that we will be made right in the end. And Jesus is the one who demonstrates God's righteousness, and Jesus is the one who satisfies God's righteousness for us and makes us righteous before God. Jesus is God himself, and he reigns with all the power, all the justice, all the might, and all the righteousness of God. But at the same time, Jesus takes the consequences of our sin on himself, and so he saves us. Jesus applies his righteousness to us, his people. The righteousness of God is seen in Jesus, and the work of Jesus makes us right before God. And if that's true, truly none of us have anything to boast about. But we have everything to rejoice in. There is nothing, nothing that we can do to make us right before God. We can't say that we're right before God because we belong to the right family or the right nation or the right church. We can't say that we're right with God because we do this or that good work, because we keep this or that set of rules or because we have this or that feeling. But now, but now, we can still say with confidence that we are right before God. We're right before God, not because of what we've done, but because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. All people, including all of us here tonight, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God But all who believe in Jesus Christ are justified freely by God's grace through Jesus Christ. God is just. God is the one who justifies us by his grace. Glory be to our God.